Hey folks, welcome back. This is Eric Wright, host of the Disco Posse podcast, and you're about to listen to a conversation that really, really hit home with me. This is Ori Weissman. Ori works for Silk, uh, doing amazing stuff with the world of cloud database, and more importantly, with people. Ori is somebody who, when I talked to him, it really was like a mirror to some of the really interesting challenges that I faced personally. And I imagine if you're in technology, you probably may map to a lot of the same personality traits that we've kind of laid out here. Uh, really, really great stuff, uh, great lessons in, in how to approach things uh, for you know being a generalist, the ability to connect with people, and what it means to be a human in technology. So Ori's just such a fantastic person. Definitely recommend you connect with him uh, and listen to the episode. Just a, a great, great chat. And of course, this great chat and all the others that I've been able to present have been powered by amazing sponsors and supporters, including the folks at the Shift Group. So whatever you're doing, if you've got a technology startup or even an enterprise technology company, what you need is a growing, avid, incredibly deeply connected Salesforce that understands how to take their talents and put them to work to drive incredible customer engagement. So JR and the team at the Shift Group are doing just that. They've taken elite athletes and turned them into elite sales professionals. This isn't just taking people and putting them into positions. This is literally creating programs, continuous education, giving you the power to be able to grow your team, to grow a culture of sales that is positive and delivers conversions, delivers results, closing deals, and connecting to customers. It, it's really amazing to be doing, so go check it out, shiftgroup.io, highly recommended. Hey, speaking of things that are important, do you back your stuff up? You darn well should. And if you aren't, well, go check out Veeam because Veeam are doing amazing things. Hey, they got Veeam on coming up. So go to vee.am forward slash Disco Posse and you can see what they're doing there. We've got a really, really cool event that's coming up. It's going to be in Miami and that's going to be pretty darned awesome. So if you want to go check it out, go uh, check out Veeam. Uh, they got lots of cool stuff. Again, go to vee.am forward slash Disco Posse. They back up everything. They got you covered for all your data protection needs. And, uh, oh, right on. And also get DiabolicalCoffee.com. Because I love coffee, and it's my coffee company. All right, enjoy. This is Ori Weisman. Thank you very much. This is cool. Uh, we've been talking about what we wanted to do for a while in like, what's a podcast idea? You and I got connected through a good friend and a colleague, uh, Tom Murphy, who's over with you working uh, in your organization. So but anyways, let's uh, I've been lucky enough to spend time talking with you. And the cool thing is now all the people that are watching this get to do the same thing. So Ari, uh, do me a favor, give a quick introduction, and uh, then we'll uh, we'll get to the good stuff because we're going to talk about a lot of fun stuff. All right. I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me on. Um, my name's Ori Wiseman. Uh, I'm the technology solutions lead for EMEA with a company called Silk, as you mentioned, that Tom Murphy works for. Uh, and it is my first startup. My first startup, I guess I ran a consulting company and that can be considered a startup, but 
this is my first product-based startup and it's been a whole bunch of fun. It is uh, an adventure that is indescribable when you're outside of it. Like it's hard to relate to people what it's like. And I remembered the first time I explained to a lot of my like high school friends, I like went back, you know, just like to visit with a bunch of folks I hadn't seen in years. And uh, and then somebody asked you like, oh, you work for one of those, uh, the starting up um, companies, right? And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yes. Starting a, up, that's a starting great. up company. <laughs> like, yeah, 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 but it's fun. So uh, if I could describe what you do, that's always the fun part. When people say like, what is, you know, tech solutions, what is tech evangelism, like, what what exactly do you do here as the as the old office space meme goes <laughs> now, before i tell you i just want to say my first uh internship in the professional field i was in a cubicle and uh i just kind of understood that movie on a different level after getting into the <laughs> workforce and working in a cubicle and seeing everybody with like a tps uh, report cover page on their uh so yeah that, that i legit actually had a tps a uh, cover sheet hanging in my cubicle and like some people it's one of those things like if you know you know <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. uh yeah and you know the it, i think it kind of helps answer your question too the fact that this guy didn't put this cover sheet on and got six bosses telling him the same thing you know it's like the difference between working for a big corporate uh, behemoth and then working in a startup and uh it's uh, it's a lot of fun though, you know. There's a lot of uh, creative leeway. There's a lot of uh, um, li like there's liberties that you can take, a lot of initiative that you can take. And I feel I feel like for me that's uh, been one of the best things about working for a startup, just the ability to see an opportunity and just take it instead of going through a big hierarchical structure or needing to you know check with someone on if this is uh, the right thing to be doing at the right time. So. If I had to kind of describe it in a short way, I would say it. Uh, there's a lot of pressure. There's definitely a lot of pressure. You know, you got to make things happen, but there's a lot of room to make things happen in your own way. And I really like that aspect of it. Yeah, I, I describe the feeling that I enjoy of it's sort of both the, the freedom and the responsibility of being in charge of the outcome. Yeah, that's a really good way of putting it actually the freedom and the responsibility because <laughs> you are you are definitely taking responsibility for the outcome there's there's no question about that there's a need to have outcomes and you want to have proper outcomes too you know it's uh having an outcome doesn't necessarily mean it's the right outcome or uh it's where you want to be it doesn't mean that it can't be a step towards something but there's certainly a lot of uh that's that's a good way of putting it because it's not necessarily pressure that the company is putting on you, even though there is company pressure. Uh, it's just you, you're owning this process. And when you feel like you own a process, you really take on the responsibility of that process and delivering becomes kind of a personal goal, more so uh, than a company goal to certain degrees. You know, there's always shades of gray. Yeah, I think the fun part about it is that ability to, you know, sort of steer and maneuver even when you're given some guardrails you there's generally a lot of trust given to you i've talked with you know, at this point literally like hundreds of founders through you know podcast and just in the tech community and i often the the theme that comes out 
and you hear it in a bunch of the podcasts too, is that it's a bi-directional trust, right? So you're trusting as a staffer, you know, a newcomer to a startup, you're trusting that they are going somewhere, right? Like you're not taking a job at a place that has 32 years of, you know, organizational experience. They got a bunch of JD Power Awards. They've got, you know, <laughs> top 100, you know, employment like that's, and that is fantastic. I've done that, enjoyed the heck out of it. But I acted differently in there than most of the other people, which kind of led me to realize that I was either strange or just different in that I, I didn't fit quite what it was that was there. But then, so that responsibility of like going to a startup, like they are, I'm trusting that they are going somewhere that there's going to be a place to to log into, you know, and not even go to the office anymore. But like, you're you're trusting your email is gonna gonna work every day, and uh, these days, like, it's that's not a guarantee. So there's there is a leap of faith on that side. But then, on the other side, as a founder, and now it's weird that I see both sides of it. You are bringing somebody in, especially those early hires, that you're trusting them with the entire message and, and face of your organization. And like, can I, can I trust, like I'm going to hire Ori and I know how you behave, but then I'm going to send you out into the field and you're going to talk with prospects and customers and see, oh, I even hate, it makes me cringe when I say the word prospect, but you're talking to prospective customers and you're talking to folks in the industry and they say, Hey, what do you folks do? And you're going to say what we do. And it's like, it may sound a little different than the way I describe it, but I trust you. I trust your understanding of what it is that we are doing as a mission, as a, a thing. So it's a, it's a funny thing of like this real sort of trust, like a deep, deep trust that has to happen. And that deep trust also gives you way more freedom. But and like I said, it's, it's also unfortunately a large amount of responsibility that if it doesn't go well, you know, hey, you're gonna have to own it. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's definitely true. And I think so I've I've definitely played in more of the corporate world uh, more than I have. You know, I've been at Silk uh, getting close to a year and a half now, and it's been honestly an enlightening experience. Uh, I was I kind of grew up in consulting. So I worked for Capgemini, Deloitte. Uh, at one point, I was really a company man with Deloitte and kind of looking at partner every day. That's what I wanted. Uh, and then from there, I worked for Microsoft and I also worked for Amazon uh, recently. So I've, I've had a lot of that experience where uh, I would say in consulting, you have a little bit more freedom, but with, you know, Microsoft and Amazon, they really have nailed down the messaging that they want you to take. And it's not about going in there and doing your own thing or being trusted to come up with the right message at the right time. It's not to say that there's not creativity there but it's definitely more scripted and uh, more formalized. And if you can deliver that message in a way that they think is uh, very in line with how they envision it, then you kind of get to move up and uh, maybe the more you move up, the more uh, impact you can have on that type of messaging. But yeah, with a startup, you're absolutely right. You're, you're really, and I would say that the way that I pitch our product when I first got here versus the way that I pitch it now, it's very, very different. Uh, and it evolves. It evolves in a way where we have this uh, greater understanding of our customer. And so we understand their needs more. We become, I think we're kind of evolving into industry experts right now. And that's something that I'm heavily focused on. 
wanting to make sure that, uh, you know, I understand my piece of their organization and solution uh, better than they do. And that I can even teach them some things about how to do this better. And if you can nail that, then I really feel like you uh, you can thrive in the startup uh, community in the startup world, and especially with uh, product based, uh, you know, pitches and things like that. But at the end of the day, you know, we're selling complex solutions. We're entrusted by our, our founders to go out and do that in the way that we see fit based on the customer, the market conditions, you know, what we're selling. Uh, and it, it can be a very empowering feeling. Uh, but like you said, you do really have to believe in the leadership. You can't, it, it, I can't see it being, again, first experience, uh, we have a great uh, CEO, Danny Galan, um, and I, I kind of talk to him more often because I'm in Israel and so is he, and he's super passionate, very smart, and uh, puts a lot of trust in us to deliver that messaging, and, and it really feels good, you know, so if you believe in the leadership, if you think that the startup is going in the right direction, you really feel like you can be part of something, and you know, everybody's chasing unicorn. And I guess, I guess now it's decacorn is the new thing, right? The $10 billion, like at 1 billion. Is enough. So 2000s. <laughs> <laughs> so you got to be chasing that uh, $10 billion mark now, not that billion dollar mark. But, um, you know, to go from kind of zero to hero in that sense, uh, it can be really fun. And it's more about the journey. You know, it's not really the destination. At least that's what it's been for me. And uh, I'll tell you something else, you know, I really feel like this has re-energized my career and uh, what I want to get out of my career. It's kind of even taken me in a bit of a different direction. I didn't know it even existed, really. Uh, and it's been a lot of fun. It's been a lot of fun for me. I've really, really enjoyed it. But I think the, the thing that people can really pick up literally was there's like five podcasts we could pull out of just that two minutes you know what you described there the one i want to call out is the way you talk about the product now versus how you did back then and it's funny like the first thing we do is when you when you come into the organization especially when you're sort of in field facing you know customer facing stuff or even just community facing it's like what do you do we do this right and so i was like we have a product that does this and our product does this and that's off like the first thing we do is like let's learn the boilerplate like you know, Silk is a solution that solves complex problems around database, you know, whatever, like we, we have this, like what looks like the bottom of a press release that we get sort of punched into our, our minds, like nail that first, get the one liner and then go from there. But then it doesn't take long, especially for folks that are super adaptive and, and like, I'll say empathetic and understanding of the problem that you are. So that then you realize like the solution isn't the interesting part, the solution is, is interesting, but what's interesting is the problem that needs to be solved. And then what we're doing to help people as a result of solving that problem for them. And I've always thought of it like, it, it used to be like, you have a problem, I can solve this problem. That's end of story. That's the, that's how most people treat it. But what you find, especially in startups, when you go through stuff like understanding messaging, it's you have a problem. We have a solution for that problem so that you can do this other thing. And that's what matters. And like the first two parts are really cool, but it's the what's the first thing and what's the third thing? 
obviously our goal is to say that we have this you know solution that solves this in in a particularly interesting way you know in a we solve a complex problem whatever it's going to be but it's like so you can do what and wow yeah, I mean, that is the like that's what matters to you because then you as a as an empath right somebody who talks to people you're like what do you do once we solve this problem and they're like oh you know what i would do so you're like all right now this is fun like that's that's exciting yeah totally because you you know it's it's funny that you bring that up i'll use one of the tech giants microsoft and i and i love microsoft i've worked with their products my entire career and they have tons of great people i love working with them but you can see that they're compartmentalized into what's right in front of them. So you'll have the technical person that's focused on the technical solution. You'll have someone that's uh, maybe a seller, an account manager, that'll be more focused on the business case behind the solution. Then you'll get up into like the director ranks where they're only thinking about the business and the strategic uh, portions of this. And all of that needs to kind of meld into one person uh, in the startup world. And that actually makes it so much fun because the technology tends to be easy. It's people that are difficult, right? So when you're thinking about how you're going to help someone free up someone's time, help them do their job better, impact their business in a way that is tangible, that you can actually feel, you know, because everybody always talks about business impact, but it's really hard to get in and actually know this is how I can impact their business. And then, and then you get to see it through, you know, because we, uh, another uh, point that you made, you know, about us having to know so many different things, right? Customer success is also kind of on our plates here and you get to see it all the way through. So you get to see the system implemented and then you get to see them using the system. You help guide them. And then uh, you actually get to see the impact of the system being deployed and, and how it kind of affects their uh, business and their bottom line and their strategy. So that part is incredibly fun. And being able to connect with business leaders, uh, you know, at different uh, customers and, and understand more about their industry and how they impact their uh, customers and how in, they impact the industry as a whole. And, and look, you know, I know it sounds cheesy, but how they impact the world, because ultimately you're dealing with companies that are impacting the world. Now, it may be a smaller impact. It may be a huge impact, but there is still an impact. And at the end of the day, that is what is the most fun part of this whole thing. And I think you're absolutely right. You know, you want to feel like you're doing something to change something to make it better for some people. You know, and that's really, it doesn't matter what uh, industry you're at. It doesn't matter what company. If you feel like you're doing that, I feel like you'll have a lot of gratification in your job. Uh, and, you know, like it's not all fun and games, right? It can be very difficult. You can uh, go through growing pains in a startup. You can uh, be very disappointed if you don't close that deal that you really thought you connected with. But when, when it works, when it all comes together and it makes business sense and it really helps and you see that it's not just, oh, I sold you a, a widget. It really, that feeling, is, there's nothing like it. You know, there's really nothing like it. The thing that what really stood out in 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 our first discussion, like it, like I love when you when you meet somebody and like you immediately launch into a conversation like you've known them for twenty years, like that was like, and and what stands out even in, in the way you describe stuff is very much like the integrity of the outcome as well. It's not just the like here's a, an outcome where like I'm going to sell you a thing or we're going to do a thing together and you're going to get this and thus I've attached a value to it. 
but it really is the the integrity in the process or process for depending where you're from in the world and uh and also the integrity of your role in that like i said customer success it's very easy like i know lots of people who are it could be fan, fantastic you know quota carrying folks and they could do big numbers and that's it, it generally doesn't happen without integrity i'm not gonna i gotta be careful what i say here but like somebody could just come in and they could probably close a bunch of deals and then they could jet after a year and a half and then because they don't have to stay around for the outcome they just need to sell the thing you know and they can they can generate big revenue for themselves and for the company but then what happens after that and that's where the customer success piece comes in where you inserted your role is you have to see like the whole life cycle of it and it's not product life cycle it's customer outcome life cycle it's everything like you can you can sell them a thing but then how do you make that impact continuous and to have that empathy tie it to your personal integrity like you're giving your brand to that company because you're going to go in there you're going to talk about a solution you're going to help them do it and if it doesn't work for a variety of reasons you know maybe they just they don't they don't get corporate adoption their uh, technical you know limits get hit you are attached to that result but even if it doesn't go well you do not carry the negative of that if you do it with integrity and yeah I, like, mean, I can tell you that like i said in, in my my first chat with you or it stood out that you have integrity and that helps you to be particularly good at what you do well i appreciate the kind words uh first of all <laughs> but uh you know my word is my bond like i can't be in a situation where i don't believe in what i'm doing i just i will not succeed i've seen it in myself before if i can't believe that i'm doing something that is impactful in the way that i need it to be maybe it's even selfish you know maybe i don't need to play like i'm you know, trying to heal the world or, or whatever, but uh, maybe it's even a selfish need. I just, I can't let it happen. And if I feel like it's happening, then I, I need to work harder to correct the situation. And I, that's probably, you know, something that makes me good at this. Um, we talked a little bit about this, you know, I got some ADHD in me. Uh, I'm a little bit OCD, you know, so I, so I think that kind of plays a, a part in there as well. But really, it's the fact that I think it even makes me, you know, it, it, it's a good thing to put the customer success piece on people that are selling, because ultimately, if they need to see it through, they can't just, you know, with, when our, with our solution too, uh, and even when I was in consulting, same thing, right? You're selling a complex solution to solve uh, either a specific set or a specific issue, and if it doesn't actually do that, then you've sold a you've you've delivered a poorly sold solution. And to put the onus on the people that are selling the solution that also need to see it through makes them again, you know, you mentioned it before, ownership and responsibility. It puts that it puts more of that responsibility on their shoulders. And I think that is uh, very necessary to making sure that we are selling the right things in the right way, because. You know, I joked a lot when I was in consulting, and maybe this is a bit crass, but uh, that that customers are a lot like children. We have to save them from themselves, yeah. uh, and in many respects, in many respects, that can be true. Not because they're not intelligent or not mature, or, you know, not old enough, but because they have so many things to worry about. Uh, it gets hard for them to worry about this specific thing, 
And so, you know, people want to just see it work. They just, they want to know what they're buying. They want to know that it's going to help them. And then they want to reap the benefits immediately. And if you can't tick all three of those boxes, you're going to be in a lot of pain and you're going to be, you know, you're either going to be doing what you said, you're going to jet after the sale, uh, or you're going to make your life very difficult to post-sale. And so I think, I think that is something that in the, in the larger corporate world is deliberately separated and, and maybe there's a, uh, something about that that kind of makes the experience worse, you know, to have customer success and, and the sellers not really be totally integrated together. And in the startup world, at least in my experience, um, you know, starting up in the startup world, as you put it, uh, it, it really helps that we have this, uh, this, it's like a, there's no blip in the line. You know, we go from one side to the other together uh, and we need to make it work. And, and ultimately you're right. You know, it's your, it's your word and your bond. It's your integrity. You don't want to be someone who's immoral and, and lacks integrity and lacks business ethics because ultimately I want to help these people. I, I, I grow relationships with the people that I sell to and I like them, you know, uh, they're, they're good people. So I don't want to cause them problems. I don't want them to, you know, lose out or, or spend nights or weekends, you know, dealing with a mess that was created because someone wanted to meet a quota. So, yeah. uh, you know, in that, in that regard, uh, I think it, it really, this is the intimacy of the startup world is also something that is really, uh, you know, beneficial and uh, makes it, makes it more worthwhile, I think. That's actually a really good, it's a great description of it. And it's probably why a lot of people have difficulty understanding it. And it's, it is, it's a, it's a pretty deep word, right? Intimacy. It has a, like, we obviously know there's a straight, straight up life connotation, right? Like, what is it that you're doing is like, you're ultimately letting down your, your barriers and you're getting more from your partner, right? Like you're getting more from the shared experience. And that's, that's difficult to do. Because some people get real, they just I'm trying to, you know, it is not for everybody, plain and simple, yeah. like, and, and there's this sort of interesting bit of a meme out there, people say like, Oh, you know, this, they talk about your, you know, your, your, your work family, right. And, you know, like we, we are like a family, especially when you're in a startup, it's very much that sensation of like, we're a small group, we're on an Island, you know, or we're on a boat and, and that's it. We're, we're the ones that are, we're all rowing together and, you know, hopefully we'll get to either a bigger boat or, or an Island, and then we'll build a, a community together. And that sort of very community aspect, that very shared responsibility, and shared, you know, ownership is pretty cool. The difficult thing is separating that from the fact that there are straight up business, fiduciary, corporate responsibilities that come that are different for the CEO, the CRO, the COO, you know, like, and a lot of people get st stuck in that, that there will be a time where the CEO has to make a decision that doesn't feel very family-like. Yeah, because we think of families like, oh, it's all friendly. It's all good. Like, I know I got some cousins that I've had to help out in ways that I probably wish I didn't have to, but I'm going to do it right. But in the end, then sometimes you got to make hard decisions. And, you know, even with direct family, you've got to. But we when we talk about family in the true blood familial sense, we always think of it as like it's good. But then when we talk about the startup. There's tough decisions. And so and 
you face them more than than you do in in your day to day and then people get struck and they say if you think that your you know your family is you know if you work at a startup and they describe it as a family run and i've seen that so many times and all i think is like wow you've either been exposed to a situation which was truly not a good like organizational culture or you know a real community within it or you weren't ready to understand that it's not all rainbows and roses that are going to be part of this deal like we're going to suffer but we suffer together and that's the suffering together you share is also the shared responsibility and shared outcome but you do it knowing that hey we're going to get to the other side of it and and it's it, it is intimate it is really i love it but it's <laughs> it is tough to be that close to it and and not you know sort of get deeply involved yeah, totally. And you know, you really bring up a point that I really like is the people, the family versus community. So I always, I, I sort of bought into the corporate messaging of family early on in my career, because I was someone who wanted to achieve the most that I could in climbing the so-called corporate ladder. And I was very driven and motivated by it. But as I've evolved and I think matured, the it's really more it's a community, you know. Because if you think about it, right, family. And listen, before I say this, my brother is extremely successful. He's like a wonderful person. I'm just using an example. Uh, let's say my brother was, uh, you know, an alcoholic and struggled uh, mightily. I would burn money if I thought I could save him, uh, no matter what, and it, it wouldn't matter until I ran out of money, you know, because he's my family. Uh, and again, he's not this person. He's he's very, uh, 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 very good, loving brother. But in a community, you you definitely still have that intimacy like you do on the family side. And there is, uh, like you mentioned, a common struggle and you suffer together. And there is also aspects of picking people up in your community. But at the end of the day, it is a community that you join and leave. And sometimes you're forced out and sometimes you leave voluntarily. Uh, and a community is a very good way to, I think, put it because I, I just, the messaging of family to me, family is something totally different, right? For for better or worse. Maybe your family is great and you have great loving relationships. Maybe you don't. Not everybody does have uh, good relationships with all of their family members. Right. But a community is a shared vision, shared set of goals, shared set of values. And you can buy into that community or you can decide not to buy into that community. And I think it's important to, uh, and I think this messaging and wording is very important, especially in the startup community. Uh, and that's something that I have felt too, right? There is a shared struggle and I do want to go through it. I have bought into the values of my community. Uh, and as such, you know, I'm really enjoying myself here. Uh, and had I not, then I, I probably would have left. But, uh, uh, and, and even relating that to, you know, consulting, like when I was on project teams, that project team was a tight-knit community. You know, we knew each other intimately. We talked to each other nonstop. We went out to dinner together. We did fun things together. Uh, and you you grow relationships. I, I still maintain lots of relationships from when I was at both Capgemini and Deloitte because, man, it's like you're going to war together. You know, you're yeah. not fighting a bloody battle, so to speak, but you are really trying to uh, make an impact on your corner of the world uh and and it is hard you know meeting deadlines sometimes going live i mean i have you know stories from 
uh, staying up all night to make sure that the go live uh, is done well and there's no issues and we don't have critical bugs and, you know, racing against the clock. And when you do that with people, when you're really, you know, on this team and you're, you know, t- driving together there, it builds a certain level of intimacy. And honestly, I think that's a good thing. I don't want to feel detri- I don't want to feel uh, disjointed from people in work. I don't want to feel like I'm doing something alone or that these people are just people that I work with and I shut them off whenever I want. Like I'm not a robot. So and work and look, let's face it, you know, work is a huge part of life, right? We spend probably more time working than we do any other single activity other than maybe sleeping. Uh, and that's probably uh, not even true. <laughs> and in a startup, that's uh, that's definitely not happening. <laughs> yeah, so, but no, you're, you're so right. Yeah, is, yeah. Yeah. So this is the, I often think it's sort of a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy too, that, and again, every everybody has their own way in which they interact with a portion of their life, whether it's a well, family, a, re- a direct, you know, human to human relationship, whether it's, you know, a work relationship, whether it's a, you know, people you meet at the gym, whether it's, you know, people you run with or, or you know, people you, you have a knitting club, whatever it is, whatever interaction do you have with that group of people there, if you sort of go into it with an automatic distrust then what you see is like if if we look for it hard enough we'll find the negative really easily and then if we attach that as like the the what's likely to happen you immediately just like you just start protect building protection mechanisms you start building shields and walls and it's like i gotta i'm pretty sure that this could go sideways anytime so i gotta get ready to you know i gotta start folding my parachute and then at some point you're spending more time folding the parachute than you are flying the plane. And then you realize like, oh, this bloody thing's pointing to the ground now. I got to get out of here. See, I told you it was going to fail. Yeah. And you're like, oh, you've just spent all of your effort, emotional, intellectual, and real effort building an exit strategy. Of course, that's where you're heading. Like that, because you've just, you've kind of predefined the outcome and it's, it's tough. Like, and, some people can't realize that they're experiencing, you know, it's like, how do you, how do you open, how do you open that opportunity up to like, it's not, it doesn't have to be difficult. It's going to be difficult, but that's not all the time. And if it is all the time, well, we, you know, we got a different, different challenge, but. Yeah, totally. And, and I think it even just comes back to what you're saying about ownership and responsibility because of the trust. So the more that you feel trusted by the leadership of the company, the more that you feel like you have this responsibility, the more personally invested in it you become. And that's, I think, at least, you know, again, this is, I can't speak for everybody, but for me, when I feel personally invested in something, man, I want it to work out. I want to do the best that I can. It's hyper interesting. I'm buying in and I want to push, I want to push myself to get there. Uh, and I think that has to do with the buy-in and the trust and, you know, coming back to working at a startup where you don't have a script that you're reading, where there's a lot of, uh, you know, you can you can kind of pivot a lot on your own, decide what to do and how to do it. When when that works, when there's that level of trust and when you feel empowered like that, I think you can, uh, you know, you can fo- you can hyper focus on the goal even through thick and thin, so to speak, because you're right. If you feel, you know, if you're in that dark place, right, where you starting to maybe 
move away from the community, you're not as believing in the community goals, you start focusing on how do I get out of here? It's going to poison everything that you do because you're going to be so worried about it. The fear will come creep into everything that you do and you can put huge amounts of stress in yourself. You know, and I think there's like a good stress and a bad stress. I mean, maybe not stress, but a good pressure and a bad pressure, right? Right. Right. Pressure to win is good. Pressure to not lose is not so good. So there is different ways to view things. And I do think we have a, a fair amount of control around that. Like you said, now, you know, you mentioned too, right? Sometimes you're just in a bad situation. Sometimes there are things that are out of your control, but for the most part, for people in positions uh, like we are working in the tech industry, you know, uh, I'm in Israel startup nation, right? So uh, being able to be part of that community, I think there is a, a great deal of um, a, ability for me to kind of frame my reality, as you put it. And if I frame my reality poorly, then I, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna have bad days, and a lot of them, uh, not because of anybody else, but because of myself. But if I frame my reality in a way that I believe that I can succeed, I believe in this team, I've bought into this community, then together as a community, it's our success, right? Together as a community, it's our uh, loss, right? So if we're successful, we're successful together. If we're not successful, we're not successful together. We reassess and we make another, you know, we make another run at it. Um, And I've definitely felt like cycles like that even here. You know, I've only been here uh, a year and a half, but at the same time, I've been here a year and a half. So Uh, You definitely kind of feel those cycles and there's certainly disappointment, but there is lots of uh, gratification. And, and like I said before, you know, when it all kind of hits, hits the way that you want it to, there's nothing like that feeling, you know, and everybody, everybody gets a share of it. You know, it's not, it's not centered around one person. It's, uh, you know, our, our founder has this phrase that he likes to say, I won't, uh, I won't say the full thing, but it's let's go. And sometimes there's a middle word in there, (laughs) but but it's, it's really like when, you know, when we, and I've kind of adopted it a little bit too. Like I, I say it even when he's not there and it, it just feels like it's for us. You know, it doesn't feel like it's someone being like, do this, get it done. You know, it feels like, yes, we're a team. Let's get it done. You know? And, and that's one of the things that is just hugely gratifying of being in this space uh, and I think I think we talked about this a little bit, uh, kind of the first time that we uh, met w- when I was saying I kind of felt a little lost in my career. Uh, you know, I kind of had some years where I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. I, I think since I left consulting and this uh, partner carrot kind of uh, left my uh, world, I wasn't totally sure what I wanted to do. Uh, and now that I've gotten here and that I've been a part of this community and I've experienced this type of these types of ups and downs, because it's a it's a package deal. You know, the ups come with the downs. I wouldn't have it any other way. Uh, it's really it's been invigorating. And, uh, you know, I feel like I've I've breathed a huge amount of life back into a career that at one point I wasn't sure, you know, what my long term goals were. And now I, I feel like I've I'm in line with that and I feel like I'm supported with these goals here. Uh, and then I'm driving towards them and it's very new and exciting. And talking to you on this podcast is even a uh, example of one of these goals, right? Like I, I want to make content. I want to participate in uh, this type of community in the podcast community and the blog community. Uh, you know, and I, I like uh, presenting and interacting with people. And, and so this is kind of part of me uh, realizing uh, what I want to kind of do in life and going after it, you know, and it feels good. 
Yeah, I think the framing is really important and people often lose sight of that. There's a lot of good, good, no, there's really legitimate psychology in the idea of like framing, right? And how you describe something and not just how you talk, how you say the words, but ultimately really how do you feel about that? And, uh, and it's interesting, like when I think of the way I would always describe it is like, yeah, as a team, we succeed. And if it doesn't go well, what could I have done better in order to induce a better outcome for the rest of this team? And I really like, I've always held that thing, which is, it's painful sometimes because I kind of, I would take way too much on and, 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 and it's, uh, I still, I'm 50 years old now. It, it's not going to get, it's not going to change. <laughs> I just broadly accepted that I'm going to, I'm going to eat it, uh, you know, internally, you know, it's like, uh, I worked with a guy one time and he's like, Hey, I'm, you know, someone said, Hey, I'm going to be, you know, I'm always my, I'm my own worst critic. And the guy beside him goes, not as long as I work here. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought like, but truly I am like my own worst critic and, you know, folks like you and, and Tom and, and a lot of really, it's a narrow field of people. I know that I immediately know, like, yeah, I trust that you care about the outcome so much that you're going to internalize it way more and you know this is the classic thing right so it's sort of my hipster you know version of it because it's a mason jar or a ball jar as they have in the united states um but like how do you describe this right and i know a lot of people they're like you know is it a half full or half empty that's always the old classic thing right is it is the glass half full or half empty but really the that's not the that's just like are you happy or are you you know, do you lean happy or do you lean negative okay that's fine but the problem we've got is the farther edges of it, which is I know a lot of people who say is it half full or half empty, and they would say there's no possible way it's ever going to be full. It's not possible to be full. It can't be full, and and because of that, there's no fulfillment, and like they immediately are like that thing of launching towards negativity, and it's like it's tough because you grab onto that and they see it in everything, and they don't necessarily know how much that's pulling their energy, their everything towards negative framing constantly and it's tough and it's hard to hard to like get them to be able to see that there could be another way to to view it and frame it and then you've got the other people who are like yeah it's fine you know like the, the glass could have like one drop of water like you know it's all good you know we'll just we'll make it last you know and then my personal philosophy is regardless of how much water is in the glass I know that if given the need, I could go without water. And that was like my personal ethos. It's always like, what can I sacrifice so that regardless of the situation, I'm going to muscle through it. And it's, it is a, uh, <laughs> probably, probably a weird way to, to live and think. Uh, and, and it's, it, it, it has a lot of, I take on way too much personal responsibility, but, you know, again, like meeting you and, and meeting folks like Tom, you realize you start to find people who are like this. And we start to find out that we're all in startups. We start to find out that we also all kind of share this sort of ADHD lifestyle. We share a lot of common traits. We're creative. You may be super technical, but you're creative. And how you're able to do that and keep pushing through is, doing that framing and separating the like you just you almost have to see it like you're outside the window looking in like you're impacting what's going on on the other side of the window but you're also aware that you have you have to separate yourself from it 
like emotionally sometimes and it's but yet be deeply emotionally involved it's it's a dichotomy i don't know it's it's really hard to describe sometimes but it's just like i i care really hard about the outcome but i also know that if it goes sideways i have to just detach from the negative and say like okay what do we do like the the house is on fire what do you do just sit there and go oh well you know that figures right it's gone now you're like what can we do right now what can we do about what's happening in order to maybe either change the outcome or change how we feel about the outcome. Yeah, I totally agree. You know, and I honestly, I think that that take is a very positive take because at the end of the day, you can't give up. It doesn't matter what's going on. The bottom line is we're not just going to throw in the towel because uh, doing that is like you said, with framing, it's just going to put the wrong framing and then you can get into a, uh, you know, downward spiral and, and then it can, and it'll creep into your life because work and life are intimately uh, tied together. And I, and I think that, you know, it's this, I totally agree with the, even if there's no water in there, I will persevere. I will make it through. And you have to believe because once you stop believing, then, you know, there's no hope. And if there's no hope, what's the even, uh, what's the reason to even continue on? So, uh, I feel like that uh, a lot in my life. Like you're, you're really speaking to a lot of parts in me that uh, uh, that I feel like I've uh, carried for a while, and and this is part of how I uh, kind of justify and motivate myself on a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly, you know, basis. And uh, I think something for me that really, like my evolving understanding of, of this was uh, feedback, because at one point I was you know, when I was younger in my career, and I think this is mostly true too, like when you're in your twenties and you feel like you got a good career, there's tons of hope, right? Because your skill set can be applied to such a broad amount of positions because it's more, it's not quite entry level. It's, you know, you're an experienced employee, but there's still lots of ways that you can go. You haven't really gone down a path and ultimately, if you want to be in a management situation or you want to be an executive, you tend to go from broad, like kind of like the triangle, right? You go from more broad to more uh, narrow. And uh, when I was younger, I felt like I was invincible. You know, I can do anything. I, I will take on everything because I am capable and I, it doesn't matter what's going on. I'm going to, you know, like you said, putting more responsibility maybe that I can handle on my shoulders uh, with little regard for my <laughs> my physical or mental well-being. Um, but something that has helped me tremendously is not just accepting feedback, but seeking out the feedback. And when I was younger, I had trouble with feedback, right? Because I always looked at myself as being really, and I, and I was a high performing individual at these consulting companies. So I always got really high ratings. If you know anything about consulting, it's like they give you the one to five rating. And I was always getting twos and ones. But uh, that kind of worked against me in a sense that I felt like I was doing everything right. So I don't need to be told anything now that I'm uh, I've matured more. And very honestly, this kind of time in the career desert that I described to you has has helped me gain a little bit of perspective. Uh, and I and I've been going out and seeking direct feedback like, hey, you know, I, I'm still pretty confident guy. So it, we can you know talk about the good job that I'm doing. But. Uh, what I'd really like to hear is where I can improve. And it doesn't matter if it's even a simple, small improvement, you know, let's, let's help me understand what I can do better. 
And uh, I think if I can give advice to younger people uh, here for a second, the best thing that would have helped me when I was younger is that even if someone gives you feedback in an extremely negative and critical way, which it's not good to do, right? Don't get me wrong. You shouldn't be, it should be constructive. And, uh, but even if someone, you know, delivers you feedback that's buried in a pile of, you know what, <laughs> you know, you can still, you, you can try and work to disregard the, the shell, the outer layer of how it was delivered and try and get to the kernel uh, that's in there that may have some value to you, right? Forget about the person and what they're doing and what their motivation is. But if they, they and they may not have, there may not be a kernel in there. It may just be uh, misdirected. But if it is, it's important to learn and understand that because in the future, that negative feedback cycle that this person gave you, you might be able to avoid it with someone else by avoiding this particular issue. Uh, and that, to me, has helped uh, quite a bit uh, to continue to grow and mature in this uh, field because I I'm never going to stop till I'm, uh, you know, till I'm not here anymore, right? Because there's always growth, there's always learning, there's always maturity to be had, um, you know. And it's kind of an old cliche, right? You you retire and you got one foot in the grave, right? And I I really believe that, you know, you may retire from one profession, doesn't mean you're not going to go to another profession. So so feedback has really helped me. And, and accepting that feedback for, for what it is, trying to take the emotion out of it, which is a bit difficult sometimes. Uh, and I admittedly am a very, you know, I wear my heart on my sleeve and uh, you can probably see that a bit too, so. When, when I re remembered the early days, like that was the, you know, I said I'm an older, older fella now, so I got a bit of a different outlook on it because I've lived through a lot of these experiences and watching, you know, sort of work challenges and, you know, having, you know, like a marriage breakdown, having to deal with, you know, f interesting, you know, family situations and, and life situations, like health stuff, like, once you're on the other side of them, like you get a bit of a different outlook. Uh, but it was interesting, yeah, like those first things when I was, when I was 20, you know, 22, you know, and, and you'd get that feedback, and they're like, you know, you really need to work on this. And, your response internally, hopefully only internally, well, I was pretty good at internalizing it, was the set, the response begins with look, comma, like that's when anything you're about to say, <laughs> whether it's an email, a tweet, a per an in-person response, when it begins with look, <laughs> like you are on tilt, you are not thinking about like the situation. So what I got better at over time was like, okay, I, I, I hear what you're saying and I understand it. And, and, you know, I, what can I do better? Like how, you know, and I, but I would internalize most of it first. I would sort of take it first. You're fighting it. Then you in, then you sort of internalize it. And then I got better at internalizing it and then asking for help to deal with it. And then what I've gotten to now further along in my career is just broadly and boldly accepting that I can't do anything about this particular thing. So what am I going to do to work around it, to accommodate it? I used to every year when I was like 20, I, I started working at, I was working at a financial services company, did desktop support. And I was always questioning it's supposed to be that way. Like I never would accept that. And it drove people kind of nutty because they're like, how do you not just like see the rules? I'm like, oh, I see all the rules. I know all of the rules. And I know that 
they were set for the wrong reasons. And so we've got to test those boundaries, continuously test those boundaries. And then I would, and then people would be like, I don't understand why you keep getting raises and new promotions and you change jobs and you're changing departments and you're going outside the department, you're talking to the network team, you're in desktop support. And I'm like, well, next thing you know, I'm on a network project. And they're like, how did you get there? You're a desktop person. And I'm like, you've been asking me for two months why I'm talking to the network people. And then you ask me, how did I get a gig on this network team? And it's like, how can you not see that? And then they would see, they're just like looking for the limitations and finding out how to embrace limitations. I'm like trying to get past them. But then said every year it would be time for like, hey, you, you're an analyst. Then I was a senior analyst and I was, I was super proud. I was the youngest senior systems analyst in the company that it had like broke the barrier. They're like, you have to do analyst for one year. It was junior analyst for, you know, two years, then analyst for two years, and then you get your senior analyst. And it was like a whole, it was like, you, you get a badge and a medal and there's a ceremony, like, that's what it felt like. And I was just like, do I do enough for this team and for this company to earn that opportunity to be called this? And I said, there's no reason why it has to take time. It's, it's what you put into it. It's the outcomes you generate. And so I was breaking the cycle. And then when I did that early, I felt really cool. But then now here I was, I hit the title. I got the responsibility. I got the raises. I got the freedom to do what I wanted to do, you know, basically. And then every year they'd say like, well, but you're, since you're a senior analyst, for you to become a director, you need to do like a basically like PL management of a project. Like you need to manage a project and manage the financials and manage the a long-term project. And every year it would be like, okay, I would take a course and, and I would get attached to a project. And then they would realize like, oh, that's you're not particularly good at project management. You're fantastic. Like if you had like data centers on fire, like hold my beer, got it. Let's do this. What, okay, what can we do first? Like, you know, let's break it down to the fundamentals, first principles. And I would attack these problems this way. And then it'd be like, okay, cool. All right, I would do retrospectives. I would do all that stuff. But then give me a project that lasts for seven weeks. Like, I know what I'm doing this week and I got a sense of what I'm doing next week. That's kind of my view of the world. That maybe is a, is a bit of ADHD. It's a bit of a lot of things. But so the reason why I'm telling this progressive story is that every year would get to this thing where they'd be like, you know, in order for you to really advance yourself, you're going to need to be better at project management. And I kept thinking like, I would punish myself. I'm like, why, why am I so bad at this? Like, I'm, why, I can't figure it out. And I would fight and I would get like, it would tear me up that I couldn't do this. And it became a struggle. And I would start to think, maybe I'm not doing the right job. Like, I'm just not cut out for this. And like, you get imposter syndrome and I'm just ripping myself internally on this stuff all the time. And it became stressful and it affected my everything. And then all of a sudden, one day, you know, many, many years later, you know, I started to joke about it now when I, you know, my, my last VP, he's just like, hey, you know, everything's going great. You're generating great outcomes and it's, it's awesome. People you know, love the work you're doing. What would be cool is like, it would be neat if you would work on a big project. And I'd be like, tell you what, it's the annual, let's get Eric doing project management time. And so then in three months, you're going to be like, hey, let's attach a project manager to help Eric out. And then in six months, you're going to be like, that project manager is great. Eric's really great at the tactical stuff. And then next year, we're going to, you know, have this conversation again. And I'm good with that. Like, I'm just not going to be good at this. And 
boldly accepting that I could not do it and saying, I need help. And that was the, the humility that I took a long time to get. And boy, it was, I suffered a lot. And I can imagine that you probably face a lot of things like that. And a lot of us do in our types of roles and our personalities that we're probably like, you know, just like, why can't I do this? And it's, it's tough before you can say like, I need help with this. It's hard to get help. Yeah. Yeah. It really, and you know, er, especially early on in my career, I mean, that was, it was almost like help was weakness, you know, not needing, needing to be able to do it on your own was better than asking for someone to help. But uh, in reality, you're still part of a team, right? The outcomes are tied together so intimately that asking for help is the right way to go about it. And it's not weakness, it's actually strength. It took me quite a while to figure that out. And honestly, I'm still figuring it out. You know, I still uh, have this kind of supreme confidence in myself where sometimes I'll catch myself uh, wanting to do things on, on my own. And actually being part of uh, the startup, you really need to utilize all the uh, help that exists in the organization because here you don't even have the the verticals built in to this is what you do like in a in a Microsoft you have a ticketing system for expertise so if you need to get expertise about something specific there is a vertical design specifically to help you with that and it's something that's encouraged and uh, it doesn't even feel like asking for help it feels like doing your job right in, in the right way whereas uh, in a startup it's really on you you know everybody's busy everybody's got things that they need to do but everybody's always gonna gonna help you. And, you know, it is, it is hard because you really want to feel like you can do everything. You really want to feel like you are capable of getting through this problem, whatever it might be. And it's funny you mentioned project management because that speaks to me a bunch too. Uh, I was at uh, the consulting companies always check because getting to project manager, managing the big project, managing the, uh, you know, PNL of the project, that's how you get into the upper echelons of the consulting firms. And I was always chasing after that. But where I really shined was when I was like the tech lead, uh, you know, someone who could, I was always very good about explaining complex technology issues to people that were in the business that didn't know much about technology. So like even, uh, even CIOs, you know, you'd be kind of surprised. They're so much more about strategy and managing people and managing budgets than they are really specific technology problems. Right. Uh, so speaking to CIOs, CEOs, COOs, I was always good at doing that. And I, and I was almost like I was pushing myself away from it. Like, like I wanted to torture myself, you know, to, mm -hmm. to force myself to go to project management because I need to be good at this and I know that I can be. Um, and it's been a process to, to kind of accept that and, and uh, you know, ask a, and be able to ask for help without feeling like it's, uh, it's really like weakness. Uh, and that's, you know, something about this startup community that I've joined that makes it so much like being able to have gotten past that and now being here and knowing that I can uh, have an impact, but that I want everybody to have an impact along with me and that, you know, it's our success. It's not my success. Uh, and the fact that, you know, like you said, you you're going and you're working with the network team because you're interested in it. You know, if you, if you can just be comfortable with where your interests are and you can, exploit those to your benefit, then people, when you do work that you truly enjoy, that you truly get 
uh, gratification from. That's where you're going to shine the brightest uh, and it's organic and it's natural. And in the things that you have to do, because we all have things that we have to do that we don't like to do. The things that you have to do, if you need help, getting help there, all it's going to do is elevate you. You know, it's going to elevate you to be a team player. It's going to elevate you to rely on people and have them feel like they can rely on you. Um, you know, and, and you're just gonna, you're gonna be a better community member. That's, that's really what I feel like. Uh, but it is a long, hard journey for at least, you know, for, I think for people like us, especially people that view themselves as very high performers that are, you know, very confident, it can be very difficult to get to the point where you don't feel like it's weakness. Yeah. It's a, it's interesting that there's, we, we really see the, I, I create it as a classless system inside an organization. Like I understand the hierarchy, but I also believe it could be traversed, you know, virtually. Like I don't, I don't see it as a barrier. I see it as a, an understanding of general fences, but fences are meant to be climbed over occasionally, you know, and, and, and being able to do that versus like standing at the fence, you know, and, and saying, well, this is the end of, of this is my barrier and, and I, I can't go beyond it there are some people they actually they need that they their personality requires that they need to have boundaries they need to have sort of a framing for them and and that's that's absolutely fine right i'm one of those people that i'd sort of like like the matrix right i just i see code right i just i see opportunity i see how do i understand why this occurs like i really want to know why the why matters way more than the what and the what is an outcome that you, you know, can generate as a result of understanding the why, because the, the, the what without the why, it's not, you know, great technology without a thing that you make better for a human is not great technology. And in oh. an organization, right, we think of the progressive growth of a role of like your junior analyst, analyst, senior analyst, assistant director, you know, you know, director, like going through that AVP, VP, that stuff is, it's not there. Like the movie Secret of My Success wouldn't exist today. Remember the kid that was in the mailroom that just like pretended to be in the corner office was Michael J. Fox. And the whole thing of like, you know, like you could do that. Like I worked at Sun Life Financial and it was a great, an amazing group of people, you know, and I met people who were VPs and senior vice presidents and they started in the mailroom and in the print room and in the like benefits area. And now they're, you know, 15 years in and they're VPs. Do you know what the person in the mailroom today at an organization like that will become in 15 years? that old guy in the mailroom, like that's, there, there's no, it's rare to see that progression occur. But at the same time, some of those barriers are down. And I like that freedom. I like that it's come along that way, getting rid of that class system and the need to traverse it in the stair, you know, case method. I just need to go away. And we can do that, right? We can move to it from startup to startup. And no one says, Hey, Lori, you've been a tech solutions architect at three different like that's gonna happen in in five years you're gonna be you know maybe at another startup or like you know 10 years you're gonna be like two more startups in and they won't care that you're a tech solutions architect at all three companies the title won't matter your passion for it your outcomes you generate the the integrity you approach it with the people that say like 
I would hire Ori in a second. And like whatever the title you attach to him, that's fine. But like, just let him do what he does. Like that, that became the thing for me of like, and how do we generate that for, for people? And I think that's it. And like, look, CIO, sorry, I'm going on on a lot of things. Just because that what used to be what we were taught, like, this is the way we do it. And that's why it's always done this way. I always hated that, that phrase, right? CIO, back when I was working at Sun Life, they used to call it career is over. That's what CIO stood for. <laughs> that's great. It was that like special projects. When you were on special yeah. projects, that meant they're like, <laughs> he's two years from making his numbers or she's almost close to retirement. Let's put them on special projects for a couple of years and, they'll, <laughs> and then they'll just like ride it out until they get their, get their 35 number, right? <laughs> it's not the same anymore. Like it's, so why do we, why do we still attach the hierarchies? Like I, I'm, a, I'm a breaker of hierarchies. Oh, I, I cannot agree more with that. And that is, you know, you, it, like having to have this idea of what someone at some level does uh, in many cases is flawed because it doesn't totally encapsulate everything that the person even needs to accomplish. So, and this is part of why I feel like the, like at this startup at Silk, I feel like I've been unleashed, not, you know, boxed in. And working at some of these bigger tech firms, it felt more like being boxed in. You know, we there there is detailed evaluation details for how you get to the next level. And it says you you will not be given this title until we see you operating at this level. And here's the 100 criteria that you need to check, you know, 99 out of 100 boxes in order to get in there. And look, you know, for some people that structure can be very helpful, but I think to really get the creativity out of people, there has to be some degree of leeway. There has to be some ability to, to do the things that you are most passionate about so that you can really uh, fulfill your full potential. And I think, uh, and I think that this is also COVID has kind of helped uh, this realization spread throughout the world because you have now working from home hybrid environments, whereas at one point you uh, needed to be in an office every day at a certain time. And there's there's a funny story that I have about this. This guy that I work with, uh, who's kind of like a mentor to me, he's still a mentor to me, his name's Lior. Uh, and I worked with him at uh, Deloitte. And I am, I am really bad uh, about getting up in the morning. And I would come to our status meetings every morning at 7.32. Like every morning without, I was either there at 7 a.m. or I was there at 7.32. And in the beginning, he was like frustrated with me. And then he realized that it was like not voluntary, you know, that I wasn't trying to get there two minutes late. But so he just let it go. And he got the, he got so much out of me for being able to do that. Like for seeing that and being like, you know, this guy is good at what he does. It really doesn't matter that he's coming here. You know, he's not such a morning guy. I'm going to let him be who he is and I'm going to empower him and not uh, and not punish him for something that is is not really affecting any sort of negative outcome. Uh, and I think the advent of hybrid work environments, working from home and now even nonlinear work days. Right. So for me personally, I honestly I like to spread my work out over seven days. I'm, yeah. I have plans to work tomorrow because I like to take a couple hours on Saturday when there's no pressure 
uh, and I get to have some alone time to work on the things that I care about the most. I'm never going to do like an expense report on a Saturday or like something that I don't want to do on a Saturday, but I will do something that I really, really enjoy that maybe is a little bit outside of the box of my realm of responsibility, but can help the firm and can help me and can help my team. Uh, and it's, I just, you know, the creative juices kind of get flowing and it's, it's almost meditative in a certain respect. So I really, and I, and here at, uh, you know, Silk, I've been given leeway to, to manage my schedule in the way that I see fit. You know, in, in Israel, we have a Sunday to Thursday work week, but we work with customers from EMEA uh, and, you know, I have colleagues in the United States. So I'm generally doing work on Friday anyway. Right. So me being able to spread this out over seven days for me personally is the best thing. You know, and, and granted, of course, there's going to be some weeks where I have very intense work weeks, uh, uh, where I have to work long hours during regular business hours, uh, you know, and then times where I don't want to work during the weekend, where I want to take uh, time off, go on vacation, do things like that. And that's all gravy, you know, and, and being able to empower an employee to do that makes them want to work harder for you. You know, at the end of the day, letting go a little bit actually gives you more, Right. So uh, that's something that I really have enjoyed, uh, you know, working in this, uh, you know, starting up in startups, uh, to say that again, uh, that I feel like is a bit lacking at some of these larger uh, tech firms. And, uh, you know, to certain degrees, also the consulting firms, too. But I was very uh, blessed to work with uh, some very, very cool people at these uh, consultancies and uh, and they let me be me and, and you know, it worked out well for for everybody. So I think. You know, if I'm if I'm going to talk to people, if I'm going to since you're giving me a platform, I'm going to talk to some managers, right? Let the person be who they are, right? Don't don't have this preconceived notion of how they work best. Find out how they work best, kind of organically, and then encourage that. You know, because at the end of the day, you just want the outcome, right? You don't need the right. nine to five if you get the outcome. So the nine to five is really irrelevant. And I think COVID, for all the you know bad things that came with COVID. Uh, here's a bit of a silver lining that it is it has woken up a lot of the world, especially in tech, uh, to understand that, you know, nonlinear workdays working from home is not only acceptable, but gets more productivity out of your workforce. Right. Yeah. And one thing I've I try to tell people, you know, especially in like the same respect that that mentor gave to you of like, hey, it's it's 732. It's that's just it's kind of his thing. But don't worry. He makes up for it, right? That's sort of like in his mind, he's always like, I mean, he's, I'm going to I'm gonna give you this rope. And and I know that you're going to give back in other ways. And that's sort of the thing. And the hard thing that I had early on in my career, and, and even in life was understanding that I shouldn't force that self you know, drive onto other people as well. It, when I had the first few years where I had sort of time freedom and, and, and I wanted to do stuff in interesting ways, I was doing way more. And then you'd meet somebody who's like, Hey, I, I gotta get the, I gotta get the 413, right? I gotta get the train cause I gotta get home. And, and you like, I struggled a bit early on of like, like, like we just got to get this done, but understanding that you also have to be very respectful of the constraints that are wrapped around that person's life, you know, and, and their behaviors and their existence. And it took a while for me to like really, really earn and, and learn that, you know, to, 
give people the same thing that they would give me. Like, hey, I'm all over the place, but it's going to work out. So I would, I learned over time, like I'm going to attach myself to someone who's like, like rigid and it's great. It was hard at first. I'm like, we're not going to get along in a bunch of ways, but it's going to be fantastic what we do together because you're going to be like the project manager and I'm going to be the person that does the nutty stuff that no one thinks just is possible. And I think now again, like over time and, you know, as you get to a startup, now you look back on those like corporate gigs and you realize like, yeah, that, that rigid project manager that you maybe struggled with, you're like, I, I'm so thankful that I had them with me. And I'm, it's, it takes you a while to, to catch on to that, that you want people to respect what you do because you've got this particular skill. But sometimes we forget early on that not everybody has the need or the requirement or the love to be this like super, you know, high performer, not even alpha, but like sort of the Sigma personality, right? Somewhere between alpha and yeah. beta, right? Like it's, uh, it took a lot. It did take me a long time to get the humility for that. Yeah. I mean, the standard you hold to yourself is only acceptable for yourself because you are, you, there is no, uh, like, it's kind of weird to say, but there's no intimacy greater than the intimacy you have with yourself, right? You, you are you. So you hold yourself to a standard based on the knowledge of, you know, I'm 39 years old, right? I've been living with myself for 39 years. I know myself better than anyone could possibly know me. How can I, how can I think that the standard that I hold for myself should be the standard that I hold for other people? And, and man, it sounds like an echo chamber uh, with you saying that because I, I felt the exact same way, the exact same way. Uh, and it does take time. It does take time and, and maturity and, you know, heartbreak in many yeah. respects. Uh, and kind of, I, even for me, you know, feeling like I was lost in the woods uh, for a while. And all of that was very necessary to get to where I am now and, and who I am today and, and to be able to kind of do the same things that you're talking about, because the standard we hold to ourselves is only meant to hold ourselves to it, you know, not to put it on someone else. So you got to understand that other people function in other ways. And that's, if you're going to, if you're going to say, if I'm going to tell myself, I want to have a nonlinear workday and I want to spread work across seven days, I can't tell that to anybody else. I can't force other people to do that. That's not how they work. So I need to, if I'm going to be a good manager, I need to be empathetic. I need to understand what, you, what works best for you. And I need to support you. That's the most important part. I need to support you to make sure that you can be successful working the way that you see fit. Because every day that you force someone into a structure that they don't want is a day that they are upset at what they're doing. Right. If you're getting for if I'm if I was getting if this guy, if this, uh, you know, if Lior was telling me every day that if I'm not there at 730, he's going to punish me every day. I'm, I'm starting out the day with negativity. I'm I'm starting out the day with stress and, it you know, for something that's not even uh, affecting an outcome. So uh, the fact that he didn't do that, you know, just shows how good of a manager uh, he really was and and still is. Um, and, and that's that's what I try and internalize. Uh, you know, when I'm working and uh, managing others and, and being and leading people in these, you know, kind of mini projects that we have in the startup world, right? Everything's like a very small mini project that we have to execute uh, in an ongoing basis. So yeah, man, I'm, uh, I'm right there with you. I feel I feel all of that. And I'm probably a little bit behind you in that journey. Uh, but yep. it is a journey nonetheless. You know? You're well, you're surrounded by good people who are going to bring you bring you there. And I'd say you're it's funny that we're 
you're arriving at sort of the same sort of point in life uh, time-wise that, that I kind of got into that world. And another thing that I struggled with for a long time was the feeling that why didn't I do this sooner? Like I should have gotten here faster. I should have gotten further. Like I did struggle with that one for a long time. Again, same thing as like, I, I put way too much pressure on myself and uh, it, it was difficult to, to be around because I was sort of, sort of self-flagellating constantly of like, I could have done this better. I could have been here sooner. Like I, I should have more savings. I should have more money. Like I could have, it was like, no, no, no it's it happened for a reason and the only thing you can do said is like there's today and there's what you want to do tomorrow you cannot fix yesterday you can learn from it but you can't fix it so what can you do today and what do you want to do tomorrow and that's kind of the only two days that that have to matter you you can sort of treat life like an etch-a-sketch which is great when you've got adhd because everything is like <laughs> like the guy from memento where you like i got <laughs> a pretty short window of memory but like the ability to be quick adaptive is great it's challenging you know there's there's certainly a lot of difficult things you know, that come along with it that you have to compensate for but that embrace that and then over time, it's like you realize, like, yeah, it's it happened for a reason. Even the good, even the bad stuff. It's just what you do with it, what you learn from it, and what you carry as a lesson into the next thing. That's what will tell you about how you you grow as a person. Yeah, definitely. And I'll be honest with you, I I kind of struggle with that even today. The you know getting to here, where as I mentioned, I feel like it's breathed air into my career. I catch myself and I, and I do try, at least now I'm trying to combat that internally, but I catch myself saying I've been in Israel for seven years. Why is this the first time I'm working with a startup? Why didn't I think about doing this? You know, but like you said, you can't fix yesterday. And actually it, it took all of what happened yesterday for me to get to this point here where now it's like, I'm growing in a whole different direction. And, uh, you know, Tom Murphy, he's such a perfect example of someone who sees this in me and encourages and empowers it. And I love it, man. I love it. You know, so when I catch myself thinking, why did I, why didn't I do this? Why didn't I, and you know, my wife will, uh, will say this to people too. Like I, I harp on that stuff way too much. Uh, but I'll try and kind of redirect that energy into tomorrow, you know, well, that's what happened. But we're, we're still on the right path. You know, this is the right path. And, uh, you know, the, the entire path, you can't, you're just never going to go through life. It's not like even the stock market crashes, you know, it's just not yeah. always going to be up, you know, and those, those crashes, you know, in life, so to speak, are actually some of the most important lessons that you can learn. And that's where the real growth and learning comes with pain in some instances, Yeah, going through something that is difficult to figure out what the next, uh, uh, what the next piece of this puzzle is, because it, that's what it is that life, this career, what I'm doing in tech, you know, what I want to do with myself. Uh, it's a puzzle. And every day I'm trying to put another piece down on the puzzle to get a clear view. And sometimes that puzzle completely changes. Uh, and sometimes I get to work on it for a large uh, period of time. And right now I feel like I'm putting pieces of the puzzle together and I'm getting to see a bigger picture and it's awesome. It really, uh, it really is awesome. Well, uh, it was funny. It's, I'll say you, you, you deserve it, but I'll say you earned it. This is one thing I learned as a lesson. I, uh, a friend of mine, she says, uh, 
she i said something like you deserve this and she's like i i hate that phrase because deserve seems like it's a, it was an implied outcome uh, so I, i'll say it properly i'm learning my my words uh, you know i'm 50 years old and i'm learning word new words or the meaning of words and so yeah you've you've earned the opportunity by taking responsibility both positive and negative and you know what's ahead for you is going to be fantastic and it would be a blessing to be on a team with you Ori. it's uh it's a blessing to have you in even the little time that we've we've spent together it's been pretty impactful and uh i can tell you that working beside tom i was lucky enough to do that for a bunch of years and uh he had a a meaningful impact on my life inside and outside of the office so it's uh you're gonna we will find more of Ori's and, and Tom's in the world, and they're rare treats. Uh, so uh, and, and Eric's. <laughs> well, I I hope that I can be that for somebody. And also, there's a great book that I recommend. In fact, it's my part of my welcome package for people at my team right now. Like now, this is weird being a founder. The first thing I do is I give them a little welcome, you know, bundle, and uh, it includes the book Legacy. Uh, it's by James Kerr. Uh, it's about the New Zealand All Blacks, and uh, I had. Uh, my CMO at the time, before, right, right, right when Tom had, was joined the firm when I was at, at Turbo, and uh, and she came in literally with like 25 copies of the book, and she's like, "Here you go, read it. You know, it's yours." And uh, it, it it stood out of like, "This is why we're here." You know, sweep the sheds, certain things that we do, and you see it in in how Tom you know, manages his, his people interactions and his, his work interactions and, you know, what you are doing and what you will do in the future is like that, that book is pretty, pretty darn uh, cool to me. And, uh, you know, it's not for everybody. So I always tell people like, if this doesn't, if this doesn't make you think real deep and say like, get inspired by it, uh, you know, you should, it's, maybe this isn't, you know, let's figure out if this is the right, what how we can make it work for you right you know, it's, it, but in what we do with no defined outcome and no defined role boundaries just knowing that you will do what needs to get done and then on the other side of it will be reward you know we don't know what it is but i just treat every day as like i'm going to do what needs to be done and it's going to be uncomfortable but there will be moments of clarity. There will be moments of reward. Like you said, I'm going to work extra hard on a Saturday or I'm going to stay up late because of the trade-off, you know, the equilibrium comes from like, yeah, because, you know, it's yeah, I'm going to take off on Friday and I'm going to go hiking. You know, I, I know that that trade-off can occur and, and we create that opportunity. Uh, so, yeah, you're going to create great things, I can tell. I appreciate that. And I will definitely, uh, I'll definitely check that book out too. Yeah. So that's, uh, anyways, this is great. I could go all day. We could talk a lot. We, there's actually a bunch of stuff I, I wanted to get to. And it's like, but that's the beauty part about this. I, I only wish that I could, I had the time to, to take, steal more of your time. Uh, so that just means we're coming back to, you know, talk about other things and, uh, yeah, it, it's really cool. Ori, thank you very much. And uh, for folks that do want to get a hold of you and uh, maybe chat or, or learn more about what you and, and the team are doing, what's, uh, what's the best way to get a hold of you? 
So it's LinkedIn for sure. Uh, it's just Ori Wiseman. Uh, that's my kind of handle and the URL for the common LinkedIn uh, URL. But uh, definitely love connecting with people on there. Shoot me a message. Happy to talk about anything and everything. Uh, and thank you again for having me on this podcast. And I look forward to part two. I look that's forward it. to part that's, two. That's the, that's the fun part is that, uh, you know, we know there's, there's always... Yeah, there's always a, a an opportunity to keep going into other things. And sometimes it's even topical too. It's just like, hey, a, a thing may occur. And, you know, yeah. especially in startup land, we'll have a, there's a, there's so much we could talk about. So anyways, it's been an absolute pleasure. And again, so for folks, uh, you know, shout out to Silk. Uh, you guys are doing some fantastic stuff as well as a team and, and as a platform is pretty wicked cool, uh, as the Boston folks would say. And, uh, you know, it's your wicked smart as, uh, as, as, <laughs> as, uh, <laughs> as Tom and the Bostonites would say. So, uh, yeah, and uh, shout out to Tom Murphy. You're a fantastic effing individual. And uh, I, thank, I thank the maker that uh, I, I get people like you and Tom in my life. So with that, Let's go. Let's go do great things. It's Friday. Let's get back to that stuff. So, Ori, thank you very much. Thank you.